special edition of the stat attack where we are in post morning um, the post morning edition of looking at New Zealand and South Africa the first match of the rugby world cup campaigns and of course New Zealand were victorious 23 to 13 so this episode is going to primarily focus on discussing the stats um, between the two teams and if you're regular listeners, you know that we looked back on their previous three matches in a in an earlier episode. So this is a follow-on from that. We made predictions about how we thought the game would turn out. So we can revisit those a little and assess what happened yesterday. Um, as usual, with me in our studio this morning <laughs> is Ant. Ant, how are you? I'm recovering. I'm slowly, I'm getting through the five stages, I think. Of depression, sure, sure. Loss. Um, yeah. so starting starting to get towards the acceptance phase. But hopefully, you know, by looking into a couple of the stats, we can make ourselves feel a little bit more comfortable about the loss. That you know, maybe we weren't quite as bad as we thought, and um, you know, hopefully, find some some some, some nuggets to uh, put our our hopes to for a final. For sure, for sure. I think uh, if this was a quarterfinal loss, we I don't even know if we'd be doing this because then it would be the end of the road for the Springboks and we'd just be even like feeling a lot worse. But there's still hope. There's still hope. It's only the first match. If both teams keep winning, this will be a repeat of the final. So that's what we're sort of hoping for. Yeah, and I mean I think that's kind of ultimately there was there had to be a loser yesterday and. I think on the balance of things, South Africa always should have been the loser. As yeah. Rossi likes to point out, we're only fifth in the world and they're first. Right, um, yeah. So, you know, we, we can't be too despondent about that. It probably reflected where our, our relative powers are at the moment. But that being said, I definitely think there are um, more than enough positives to take out of the game, uh, especially when comparing against historical things, that, you know, I don't think all the hope is lost when it comes to a final. For so, sure, for sure. I think, I think we can... We can some yeah, and I know a lot of Springboks fans will be sort of looking at individual negative performances or refereeing performances and calling for mass changes, but I think just looking at the stats when we go through them now, maybe some of those fears will be a little bit uh, allayed, and it's not all as bad as it might seem. So I think let's just jump straight into the big sort of possession and territory stats. I think in previous games we we sort of saw especially in where South Africa famously won in Wellington, they had very little possession and they sort of played without the ball and then really made the opportunities count. So in this game, it was very even, probably one of the most even in terms of possession between the two teams, where South Africa edged it with 53% possession against 47, and it was identical in both halves. So, um, yeah... We've spoken about South Africa sort of being better without the ball, being very good at tackling and driving New Zealand back, but in this case, they ended up having more of the ball. Yeah, um, Rusty made some interesting comments in the post-match um, review where he was saying that against New Zealand, you actually want to give them most of the ball because they are their attack is most dangerous when they're um, transitioning on the counter, when your defense is not structured. Right. So if you think back to both of our tries, they both came from broken play where our defense wasn't re- aligned. Um, you know, I know we <laughs> often get quite nervous where, when they're attacking and our, our backs are quite narrow, but our defense holds up uh, yeah. against structured attack. It's against turnover ball that tried Wellington this year, um, both their tries this week. It's it's against turnover ball that we're dangerous. So 
if you just don't have the ball, you can never get turned over, and then yeah. they can't attack you. So That's the true. fact that we're losing the possession battle, as in we're getting too much possession, um, definitely plays into New Zealand's hands there. Um, and I think you know that was if we go down to some of the other stats, you can see that in terms of total kicks, they kicked thirty, uh, they kicked thirty-five to our twenty-six. Yeah. Um, so they were far more. You know, their game plan definitely rolled around giving us a lot more of the ball. Um, with I, I assume their game plan was to give us the ball and then turn us over. Exactly. Um, yeah. And they were definitely a lot more effective at it. And I think especially with our rush defence. Um, it, it does work really well. We've seen it come up in leaps and bounds since that English series, but it's still most uh, shaky off that quick turnover ball where you see Severus in so much space on the outside. And I think we saw two cross kicks from Moanga, those shallow cross kicks to get the ball straight to him. Mapimpi will obviously rush up on the second last man. And then, obviously for that try, there was that little bit of the goose step to beat Mapimpi. But yeah, like you say, those turnovers are just so dangerous. Um, I mean, total turnovers conceded was South Africa conceded 18 to New Zealand's 13. So even though, I mean, that's five more for South Africa, um, that efficiency of the turnover ball, I feel like when we, when we get that same quick ball off the turnover, we're just not quite as lethal as New Zealand are with it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that, that's a old st- saying is that yeah. you know, they're just really, really good ball players. So you give them a bit of unstructured play and New Zealand can really flare with it, whereas we definitely not that type of team. Sure. Um, you know, we, we, are, we are effective with turnover ball, but not to the same level as New Zealand. I don't think any team is nearly as effective with turnover ball as New Zealand are. Definitely. Um, that being said, we did create, I mean, we scored, there was two tries to one, so it wasn't like they played us off the park there. Yeah. And we definitely created enough opportunities otherwise. Um, you know, that, that one really rude pass to Colby that sticks in mind. Exactly. Uh, um. we, you know, we, had we been just a very small percent more clinical on the day, uh, we definitely would have matched them in try scoring stakes. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't help us do penalty kicks. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there was, it was, there was a lot of very small things that didn't go our way despite the game plan not necessarily being played out the way it wanted, or them just being more effective than us at, at executing the game plans. But all those things being considered, I think we were very, very close. Yeah, um, I think so too. And I mean, if you look at territory, right, South Africa had overall 59% percent territory to New Zealand's 41 So definitely playing like the majority of the match on the right side of the field. And um, both of New Zealand's tries were quite long range, so it's not like they ever camped in our 22 or anything like that. Um, so it was just those, it, like territory wise, South Africa would have been happy with that, I think. That's a very good stat. Yeah, I and mean, I think that's the key is you want the opposition to play with the ball in their own half. Yeah. Then you can just grab those turnovers, you know, you don't have to run 80 meters to score. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you look at the rest of the stats, it just wasn't an incredibly even game. Meters carried 370 versus 367 runs, 104 versus 110 um, passes. Okay, so they pass the ball quite a bit more than us. Yeah. Um, but you know, defenders beaten was relatively easy and even 28 to 35. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, they they were more effective with the ball if you look at defenders beaten and clean breaks. Um, but for the most part, I think the key thing that was was driving was or the key stat that stands out was our tackle success was a lot lower than theirs, 76 versus 82 percent. Right. Um, from a kind of similar number of, of tackles. So. Yeah. And that doesn't help your scramble, scramble defense, because that, what that means is they're breaking through the line, you've got to track back, make that tackle, which we're very good at doing. But then, yes. you know, your defensive line's moved 10 meters back, and it's a lot harder to reset, but, yeah. you know, go up with that next uh, fast shove. So I think that 
you know, it really isn't isn't helpful. Yeah. Um, I mean, we you saw know, reversing that makes no sense. Yeah, and we saw like obviously we've spoken a bit previously about the rush defense. Sometimes you don't even have to make the tackle, but there were some very clear cases of almost like you say the one-on-one tackles, which were really disappointing. I think there was when Anton Leonard Brown broke through. I think it was for the second try. It was a very clear case of just breaking the line yeah, through a one-on-one was... tackle. Yeah, I think the, the you know the acceptable misses we refer to are more when you're pressuring the guy up deep behind his advantage line, yes. and you've shot out of your attacking line. Um, right. If you're just in your defensive line and you know they're running at you, that's not a time when you can miss a tackle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I don't. It's okay to put them under pressure deep behind the gain line, but you know when they're on the gain line, you have to make sure that you make that tackle. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you look at a couple of our culprits that were doing that, you know, Fuff was a very productive defender, but. He missed a hell of a lot of tackles. He made eight, but missed four. Yeah. 67% completion rate. That's really not acceptable. Um, you know, if you look at the rest of our backs, our wings, um, our wings and centers, Elendi's the only person that was above 62% tackle percentage. Yeah. Colby, he uh, got six out of nine. And five out of eight. Uh, McClumpy was two out of four. Uh, Delendi sitting at nine out of 11 is, is much more acceptable. Yeah, um, and, and we've spoken a bit about him, like... I think he actually had a really strong game yesterday. Um, he'll always have his detractors, but he was super solid, like we said, with the tackling. But he also he had a good 10 runs, and he made 56 meters off those runs. So he was one of our most effective um, sort of go-forward. And he two turnips. Yeah, exactly. And he also, he also was one of the very few, especially in the backs, who didn't lose the ball at all. So he didn't concede any turnovers, where um, obviously Faf conceded three, Pollard conceded three, the Wings both conceded two, or Colby conceded three, and Billy also conceded two. So he's so dependable. You, yep. If you give him the ball, you know he's probably going to make a couple of meters, but he's also probably not going to lose it. Um, so I think he had a really strong game. Yeah, and it surprises me then that they always swap him for um, Creel so early in the game. As we look at Creel's stats, very little happening, to be honest. And he did he come on quite early, yeah. He got 25 minutes, yeah, and he exactly. got three runs for seven minutes, for seven meters, and, and that's about it. Yeah, no tackles, exactly. no, no kicks. Yeah. Not a very productive or um, shift from an impact player you'd like to bring on. Yeah, exactly. I think I just remember he had one good run, but other than that, he was uh, super quiet. Um, and it's something that we discussed on just before we started recording was the use of the bench. I mean, if we look at just minutes played alone, um, the sort of the sum of the New Zealand bench minutes is 208 compared to South Africa's 126. So that's like a huge difference in terms of just making use of the bench. And especially in a game where we saw players get so tired and fatigued and struggling towards the end to keep up with it and get cramps and that sort of thing. I feel like as much as we praise Rossi, it's potentially a bit of a concern that he didn't quite use his bench as effectively as he probably should have. Especially when, you know, we've been saying all along that our bench is so strong. We yeah. don't lose anything in our reserve front row. So why are we only bringing Beast on at, you know, the 65th minute? Right. Like, we can bring these guys on a lot earlier. Sorry, yeah, I mean, Snayman got 10 minutes. Like, Herschel got 9 minutes, especially, you know, when Faf wasn't having a great game. Ongi got 20. Like, I don't really understand the reasoning for bringing these guys on so late. And we do back them so well. Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the one of the big talking points was like 
even though we have good players on the bench, in terms of who they're going to replace, it's quite limited. So, like you said, Krill will always come on for the same person. Um, Herschel Yankees is obviously a specialist scrum off. But when guys like Pollard and Vili, um, when they're just struggling a little, I don't think we're ever going to want to take them off because unless they get an injury, you don't really see Jesse Krill coming on to play fullback or Francois Stein coming right. on to replace Pollard. So that that's like, you know, last resort scenarios rather than an option if these guys aren't doing so well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how often you get, I suppose the most pertinent example recently was uh, Owen Farrell against England when he was having that shock in the first half, the first or second half, and they just yanked them off. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I don't think you plan to have reserves that can take off your player playing badly, because yeah. <laughs> I suppose you never try, you never plan for your player to play badly, but yeah. it is, as you say, it's good to have that option, because we don't, if, you know, if Lily's playing badly, if one of our wings is playing badly, if Pollard's playing badly, we're never going to bring on Stain or Creel to replace those guys, yeah. um, they're there to cover 12 and 13 as part of the game plan, um, and so yeah, unless there's an injury, they're not going to come on in one of those other positions. I think it's it's also it's a little bit worrying about going behind so early. So obviously New Zealand two quick tries in five minutes, they're suddenly up by fourteen points. Um, you just sort of worry about being able to work your way back into the game. Um, at least that's how I thought before the game. But I feel a little bit better in terms of how South Africa played. They got in, like we said, they got into the right positions, and it was much much more about execution. So I was worried that once New Zealand got ahead, we would really struggle to just get him back into the game at all but I think we actually did a relatively good job of sort of working our way back in and we were only what seven points behind at the end and we four were points on, four, yeah four points at one 17, point 17-13 we pulled it back up so yeah. I was quite comfortable with where we got there you know we'd missed one more penalty which would have taken us within one we had that tricycling opportunity like you know we left we lost by 10 but we comfortably left 10 points out there definitely um, yeah. you know without having to do anything differently. You know, that's accepting all the territory based and possession based errors. Just if we'd got our goal kicks and just Colby had caught that pass or Billy had thrown a better pass, yeah. Um we you know, we would have scored ten points. And that yeah. was and that's a lot to ask for. That's not a big change. It's not you know, tactically we needed to, to to change anything. Um, that was just marginally better execution at three key moments. Um yeah. you know, so yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not a, a gloom and doom picture. Um, yeah. you know, there's certain things that can be improved, like Dwayne's tackling, for, for example. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and <laughs> he—I mean—and he's definitely not the only culprit. Um, and that whole Mossop down to Dwayne, Mossop 70%, Lucy 70%. Yeah, Peter Steffs missed three tackles, but he's at least made 13, so yeah. kind of made up for it. Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean, obviously, we spoke about Peter Steff in Wellington when South Africa won, where he made like 20 something tackles or whatever, but. He's never going to make that much when South Africa have over 50% of the ball. So I think given yeah. the possession, 13 is a lot. And he obviously, I think he was pretty instrumental in the defensive effort. Um, and I think we can just give a special shout out to Evan Etzebeth for having a 100% tackle success rate. I mean, he made eight tackles. It's not like he didn't make any. So he was pretty strong. And even with the ball in hand, he had two defenders beaten. So I think maybe his performance has gone slightly under the radar. I think he also had a very, very strong game. I think that's fair. Yeah. If you just compare our, you know, back five stats to their back five in terms of blocks and loose forwards, yeah, you know, they're sitting at a total. They've missed what seven tackles between them and made 
50. Yeah. Whereas our back five uh, made similar number of tackles. Sure. Uh, I look at the same number. No, they, well, they made 40 tackles, so they're less productive, but they missed 13. Yeah. So they were just executing at a far higher level um, than our type five was, or yeah. our back five was. Yeah, the back five of the scrum, right. Um, uh, yeah. Their front, I mean, their front row made 19 tackles, Moody coming through at 11, yeah. um, with 100%. But you know, Marks made two tackles, missed two. Um, but you know, Mulherb needs to be applauded for his eight tackles. Yeah. Especially because people um, struggle to see it, I guess. People often ask, what does Mulherb do? And um, yes, he didn't make any runs again, but. He was, I think he was pretty solid in the scrum, plus, like you say, he made eight out of nine tackles, so he didn't well, let anyone scrum. down, for sure. He's definitely yeah. not, <laughs> he definitely wasn't in the top five sort of worst performers at all. A hundred percent not, but, yeah, I mean, you can't really comment on the scrum, but I don't know what Chris Cartes <laughs> was seeing. There were times when they, their guy was just completely overextending, falling on his face, and somehow yeah. we were getting penalized. Yeah. You know, very little sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's... It's something from a stats perspective we will struggle to comment on because far too often, even at the highest level, refs seem like they're just almost making up their mind based on a whim. Um, I think just before we sign off, maybe just highlighting some individual performances. I think from a New Zealand perspective, player, obviously Bowden Barrett was the official man of the match, but I think that I was so impressed with... Um, Adi Sevier, who was just a monster, he, in terms of meters, he made 42, just from 9 runs, he beat 5 defenders, he made 8 tackles, he won two, 2 turnovers and 2 lineouts, so he was just doing everything, and as much as, we, as we've spoken about him not being the ideal blindside, he just had like a faultless game almost. Um, yes, maybe one, once or twice he pushed the boundaries in terms of rec laws, but that's sort of part of the game. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I think for me, he was he was the man of the match. Yeah, I, I definitely thought it between uh, Sevilla and Anthony Leonard Brown because like, he also had a stormer. Right, yeah. um, you know, obviously, I think you heard that his fa the f his favorite fanboy in um, Alex was maybe um, <laughs> losing some enthusiasm, and especially against African. Uh, in the South African game, so he stepped it up. I mean, he had a very, very good performance. Yeah. Um, nine runs, 62 meters, eight defenders beaten, two clean breaks, five tackles. Like, I mean, the guy was brilliant. Turnover, offload, like. He's so um, good. He's one of those players who you look at him like physically, and he's like, well, he's not that fast, he's not that strong, but yeah, he's just he does everything, and he, he like you can just back him to make a break, at least like you know, a couple of times a game. And he has almost like that sort of such a good rugby sense, like so many of these guys do. Yeah, that is a very very effective player. Yeah, um, and I I think that just the one other player that I wanted to highlight um, was Richie Moanga. He like lately I think he hasn't been playing particularly well. Like they've been worrying about their 10-15, you know, playing Moanga and Barrett together. But I thought it was his probably his strongest game this year. He was. Just controlling everything. He had some really nice passes, some nice kick passes too. Um, he, yeah, he was strong making tackles. He even won a turnover. Uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and no, I mean, especially if I think with the, the generalship that they've been wanting out of him, he yeah. really delivered yesterday. Yeah, and especially and if, you, a lot. if you sort of uh, contrast that to South Africa's number ten in Pollard, where I mean, Pollard does what. 
Pollard did in terms of like a fairly strong defensive effort and all that, but in terms of just taking a bit of, um, especially when Fafa is struggling a bit, just taking a bit of that, like you say, the generalship or leadership or whatever, we were sort of lacking in that department. And yes, maybe it's not as much of his role in terms of the game plan, but you think even just on-field decisions, when you see Faf's uh, box kicking is um, not being as accurate as it should be, just maybe taking a little bit more of the of the onus. So, yeah, hopefully, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that Pollard should be replaced or anything like that, but I just hope to see more of him in the bigger games. He's not called Big Match Andre for nothing. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a very fair point in that they um, often don't like. He doesn't take control of the game in certain situations. Like, if the game plan is to play off nine, which it definitely is, if you look at the number of passes, um, you know, Fuff made 71 versus Pollard's 10. He made 13 kicks to Pollard's 5. Um, the game plan is definitely to play off. off nine a lot more but as you say if you see the nine are struggling you've got to be able to step in there and, and take a lot of that control yeah what's very interesting is if you compare Villy's stats to Pollard because Villy made more passes and the same amount of kicks basically right. so Villy really really important coming into that second receiver um, position if you may take the comparison between Richie uh, Moanga and, and um, Owen Barrett you know their kicks and passes ratio is a lot more even yeah um Bowser's was quite skewed towards our 15, um, whereas I suppose the ratio of 10 and 15 versus 9 is quite even between them. But yeah, one would hope that, that Pollard can kind of step in there and, and see that stuff is struggling, calm yeah. him down, um, and yeah, take a bit, bit of that weight off the shoulders. Yeah. I mean, it's strange because he always does seem very cool under pressure, Pollard, so you would expect that he, he definitely would be able to do that. Um, so I hope that it's just... Uh, you know, something that I he's... Game plan, I think it's just a, you know, yeah. the game plan is fine and there's no... Well, there's less room for the, the fly to be like, it's fine, I'll start doing the exit kicking if you're struggling or whatever. Yeah, um, for sure. So, but yeah, I think also, I mean, even just bringing on Herschel earlier wouldn't have been the worst call. Like, yeah. So the, the guy's proven he can step up when it's needed. Um, so. Yeah. So, I think just... Uh, Closing comments from your side, Ant. Um, obviously, disappointing result, but I think that we shouldn't keep our get our heads too low. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely enough positives um, in the washout. Like, and not even you know scratching for positives. I think, as I said, if you just two or three really really small things had gone our way, it's not even asking. You know, it's not like we needed to make that line break. It's literally if, if I mean, Billy had passed. You know, 50 centimeters higher. Yeah, we would completely back in the game. Um, yeah. You know, and that's something that's 99 times out of 10, 100, he'll make that pass correctly. Um, yeah. So it's small things, um, and that's despite the, the ref, which you know we not haven't mentioned, but made some interesting calls. Yeah. You know, the rucks were interesting, and there was you know so there was. But even despite all of that, we should have been comfortably um, in the game um, if we had just had a couple of, of things going slightly differently. So I don't think there's doom and gloom. I think you know. Obviously, we should we should still cruise through our pool, um, but I think you know we will we can still back ourselves to be very very strong in the quarters, hopefully semis, and then hopefully the final. Yeah, hopefully. And um, I mean, yeah, we have a couple of games now against weaker teams, especially Canada and Namibia before we play Italy. I think it is, um, and obviously we'll have to make full use of the squad and just by opposition 
certain players will shine a lot more against the weaker teams. But I think that Rossi will very much back his his starting lineup. I don't think we're going to see mass changes based on this result. I think part of it is also that the hype for the Springboks has built so much that everyone's so disappointed by this result. But like you said, and like Rossi says, this is more of an expected result. Uh, New Zealand are probably the best team in the world. Um, yes, we can beat them on our well, day. But we... Banking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think. Going forward, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see Colby getting a run at 15, yeah. with some course at 14, um, yeah. just because, again, it gives us that option that should really have a bad game, we've been comfortable with, with Colby there. Exactly. Um, yeah. I'd rather have Colby at 15 than, than Galant. I just think he offers a lot more um, than, than Galant does. Um, and I'd also like to see Nkosi get a run on the left. I think as an attacking player, he offers more than Mpimpi. Yeah. Because... You know, Mpimpi is incredibly quick, but he doesn't have a step. He doesn't have much of a chase. He doesn't have a lot of those kind of soft skills that, of course, he does. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a time where Mpimpi, you know, was gassing down the left wing with a defender in front of him, and you just kind of knew that, well, there's no space on the outside from digging around. He's just going to go into contact. Whereas, of course, he definitely would have tried something at least. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see him get around, and I think we've now got the opportunity to to give him a chance on the other side. Whereas, I understand going into this game. You know, we only really had the Japan game. It yeah. wasn't the one where you were going to test things out, you know, when you're trying to fine-tune your machine for New Zealand. So, Definitely. Yeah, I think those are the only two things I'd really like to see changed, um, you know, throughout the pool stages. I think, again, we're very, very set in everything else. I think it's pretty clear-cut yeah. who's our first choice and who's second choice in whatever positions. Right. So I think the game against Italy is... Um, that's what we're building up to next. I mean, obviously, Italy aren't as strong as... Maybe other other third um, seeds in other pools like Argentina or Japan, maybe even. But um, Fiji, yeah, Fiji definitely. Fiji were very impressive yesterday. But so I think that we'll we'll see the strongest possible team against Italy, whatever Rossi thinks then. Yeah. And I, agree with that. I just want to make a special shout out then to Cheslin Colby. He just had an absolutely magnificent game. He uh, had nine runs, 124 meters, three clean breaks, 11 defenders beaten, uh, six tackles out of nine. And yeah, he was just, I mean, he, I was especially impressed, I think, with him under the high ball. They kicked to him quite a bit, but I think he was definitely, I mean, obviously comparing to Vili in this particular game is it's easy to look good because Billy was so bad under the high ball but Cheslin was um he was just so impressive and especially given that that would be a perceived weakness I thought he was really strong and that that also sort of leads to your uh, possibility about moving him to fullback because he looks so safe in that sort of scenario yeah look I mean he's played a lot of fullback over the years so he's got a lot of experience in the high ball so I mean, there was one or two occasions where he was just out jumped and that you know, the guy is going to struggle sometimes in that regard, but you know you can't fault him for heart or effort um, sure, yeah. at any stage. Um, I've long not been the biggest Colby fan. Me too. Um, yeah, me too. But you know, the guy's definitely proved himself and delivered on the biggest stage, and so I don't think the the box can you know look to go without him. Um, sure. You know, if there's one player that the moment magic to win us a game, it's definitely Colby at the moment. Yeah, he's nailed. Um, he's nailed nailed down a starting spot for sure. Whereas just a year ago, it was like more than up in the air. I think in course he was the incumbent. Well, I mean, even a couple of months ago, I think. Like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, in course he's just much more of a traditional looking winger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but, uh, I think my, my favorite moments from the game yesterday was when Colby 
was running towards the New Zealand touchline, saw Bowden Barrett was on the South African side, turned around, bounced Barrett the wrong way to <laughs> get more momentum. It was just great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, <laughs> he was definitely yeah, a, a very strong shining light, and an otherwise not amazing performance or not encouraging performance from a visual point of view. Um, For sure. As you said, from a statistic point of view, we actually probably went as far off as we think we were. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that probably will be it for our episode. I hope that that has, for all you Springbok fans listening, that maybe makes makes you feel just a little bit less worried going forward. It's a long tournament. This is. It's better to get this game out the very first match. I think if we can just be strong and build from here, uh, there's still reason to be positive. So. I think yeah, and I think there's maybe some side benefits in that. It's kind of tempered us a little bit, brought us back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we were getting a fair bit ahead of ourselves potentially. For sure. Um, yeah. That sport is in general going, just you know, feeling that like it's our World Cup to lose in a way. Um, so it's nice that we kind of wait. Hold on, it's just reassess. We're fifth in the world. We're not, you know, we don't have the greatest track record in the last four years. Exactly. So, um, kind of flying a little bit under the radar going forward is maybe not the worst thing. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah, heads up everybody, this is the start of the tournament, there are a lot of exciting games to come, and we shall be back probably, uh, as the stat attack, we might do a midweek episode on another game that we find particularly interesting, um, or we might be back after the next Springbok match, but um, keep, yeah. keep your eyes peeled on the Twitter and the Facebook, as they call these things, and we shall see you soon. Thanks for yeah. listening. Thanks, guys. Yeah, cheers. Cheers.